When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, about four minutes into the second quarter, Carolina leading Houston 7-0 in the National Football League. Blue Jays up to, uh, pardon me, the Twins have uh, scored a couple. 2-2 Blue Jays and Twins. That one is in the top of the fourth note here from the National Hockey League. Jack Eichel. Stripped of the captaincy of the Buffalo Sabres. Of course, he's had this conflict with the team over how to treat a herniated disc that sidelined him for six months. Under the NHL's collective bargaining agreement, which they uh, reached last year, teams have the final say on how players can treat injuries. So the Sabres could eventually decide to suspend Eichel, which uh, could then domino further into him filing a grievance with the team so some updates there uh, out of buffalo has been a tough tough go obviously for that franchise thanks a lot for tuning in tonight reed wilkins with you the hotline 780-496-0063 it's presented by certain professional grade building materials that's the same number to text the show you can email inside sports at 630 shed.com follow me on twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Okay, so Oilers training camp, off and running. They were on the ice today. Again, the uh, the most relevant line combinations that I want to tell you about tonight. McDavid was at center with Zach Hyman and Jesse Pugliarvi on his wings. You saw Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto reunited for the practice today. Derek Ryan, one of the newcomers centering another newcomer warren fogel and zach cassian who's trying to bounce back from last season devin shore was at center i'm sure we'll see him on the wing as well as training camp moves along was between newcomer uh, brendan perlini and kyle turris dave Tippett was on this show a couple of days ago and said we're going to try turris on the right wing maybe even on the left wing after it didn't work out as the third line center last year and then you had the ahl line together or we'll call them that for the time being ryan mcleod did finish the season in the nhl last season but uh these guys were awesome with the bakersfield condors ryan mcleod centering tyler benson and cooper marodi we'll have a little bit more on them in a few minutes so look i i think the the storyline here for the oilers is are, are are they gonna enter a phase can can they possibly enter a phase where they're not just a playoff team every year they become a contending team every year a dangerous team Connor mcdavid said it a couple of weeks ago he said the time is now he came out and he spoke after one of the captain skates and he said the time is now look at some of the players the oilers added in the offseason duncan keith who we're going to see debut at training camp likely next friday 38 years of age Derek ryan's 34 hyman's 29 cody cc is 28 these are players who are established and should have established roles that they know how to play in the NHL. Maybe CC might still be finding his way as a shutdown guy. We'll see. And then it's like this is not the snot-nosed kid brigade coming to town. McDavid's 24. Dreisaitl's going to be 25 on October 26th. The Nuge, 
now 28 years of age with the big contract extension. Darnell Nurse, coming off his best season in the NHL, is 26. And as I mentioned, two of the youngsters, Evan Bouchard and Ryan McLeod, assuming they, well, I mean, I think Bouchard for sure is going to be on the opening day roster, and McLeod has a pretty good chance. They're going to turn 22 here early in the season. So this isn't going to be the situation we were in back when, you know, Nuge was young and Taylor Hall was young and then Yakupov was young and all these young guys aren't just making the team. They're being asked to play on the first or second line or Justin Schultz is being brought in and saying, well, you're going to be our number one defenseman because we have nobody else. It's an older team. Hopefully it's a wiser team and it's a team with experience and depth that is going to pay off like, it hasn't in the last couple of years, even though they've been able to make the playoffs. Dave Tippett commented today on the core of the team. Well, I think those all those players you talk about continue to mature. You know, like the difference between I see it in say Connor, Connor and Darnell and uh, Leon, the difference from where they were two years ago when I came in to now, and it's just maturity on there. Like they're they were great young players. Now they're great young players that are the the backbone of this team and even though you might have said they were the backbone three years ago well they were still it was still early in their careers to say hey you're the backbone of a franchise now you've now you've got these guys that have continued to mature like connor and the way he carries himself in the dressing room with his around his teammates and everything is is different now than it was two years ago same with leon and darnell has taken a huge step in that in that so that leadership group has really they have a quiet confidence about them but they also have that that feeling that they know they have to get better if we want to get to the place we want to get to so both of those they have the, the thought process, we're, we're learning, we're coming, we have to continue to grow, but there's a confidence in them that they know they can get there. And that confidence of that leadership group, that goes right through your team. You know, it's interesting to hear Dave Tippett put it that way because we have known ever since Connor McDavid was drafted as an 18-year-old and then he became the captain and in his second year in the NHL that he's the centerpiece of the core of the team. But Dave Tippett says, well, you look back two, three, four years and say, well, these guys were ready to really be the core and, and really lead the way and really be mature enough to do that. I think Tippett's kind of saying, hey, maybe that wasn't the case. The, the, these players, just because of age and development and experience weren't there yet but i think now they're actually there i I don't think it's unreasonable to say at 24 Connor mcdavid is entering his prime at 25 leon dreisaitl is entering his prime that at 28 nugent hopkins should be in his prime and i think we've seen him become a pretty all-around player darnell nurse as i mentioned coming off his best season at the age of 26 so i think that's why especially with some of these players on the Oilers, you talk about, like McDavid said, the time is now. Here's the quote from McDavid from late in the offseason. I definitely think the time is now. The old excuse that we're young guys is no longer. I think as a group, the time is now to start pushing this thing. Kenny has done his job and got pieces and added some things. It's on us now to put the thing together. So that's what McDavid is saying, and, and I think that's a fair assessment. Now, do I look at the Oilers, if I'm sitting here making predictions, do I say, well, they're, they're, if I'm going to list five contenders, the top five contenders for the Stanley Cup, do I put the Oilers there? I don't because I think we got to see how 
it, it gels on defense. I think we got to see how Koskinen and Smith do over the course of the entire season. Though I will say everything Holland and Tippett have said about the goaltending has been positive. And they're only referencing, for the most part, positive stats, positive times of the season. Um, they, you know, they're, they're very careful with Koskinen to say, hey, that was hard on him to play all those games in place of Smith at the start of last year. So there's still some some ifs, and we see where this, where this is going to go. But you, you look at these ages of these players, and uh, they, they are young men in the grand scheme of life. They're, they're not young men in terms of hockey players anymore. Like, think about this. Nugent Hopkins has been in the NHL 10 years. Connor McDavid has been in the NHL six years. Like, that's a third of his career, probably, roughly. I mean, that's 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 a third of the career for Connor McDavid. So it's time for them to really start hitting it and really start using that experience to their advantage and, and hopefully, you know, take advantage of teams that aren't as skilled as and, and aren't as experienced. So that's the guys who are the core of the team. A player who's still trying to push his way along. And that's Kyler Yamamoto, who we talked a little bit about with Rob Brown. He got the new contract. He's ready to go. He got that. I, I was really wondering today, who was going to be on that spot with Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl? Could they try Tourist there? Could they try Cassie in there? And they still m- might do that, obviously, throughout the course of the preseason and with eight games to play around. But it was Yamamoto's spot today. And if Yamamoto could get back to close to the player he was, in the 1920 season, then he's going to be that top six guy and hold on to that spot. Here's Tippett on Yamamoto earlier today. Well, I think some of it, he was a little snake bit last year. He's kind of up and down a little bit. I think Yamo is one of those guys that he's, uh, he's kind of a momentum player. You know, when he first came in the year before, he came in and he, he you know, he did some things pretty well early and got lots of opportunity. And, uh, Got with a couple of players in Nuge and Drysaddle when Connor was hurt there a little bit and, and really took off. And so he set a new standard for himself. Last year when he got in a little bit of a, a little bit of a drought scoring that, um, you know, if he was, if we had just called him up and he was like that, we'd think he's an all right, you know, he's playing all right. But by his standards, he's, he wants to be better than that. And uh, so I expect him to have a bounce back here. You know, we'll we'll start that line together a little bit and just see how they see how they go. But he, I'm glad he got his contract stuff out of the way. It was a smart move by him to get it done, get in here, get going. It never works for a young player to to uh, miss parts of camp, and and so he's in here. He's in great shape, and uh, you know, I think he'll have a real good year for us. And Yamamoto said he worked on his shot in the offseason. And and I think that's going to be key. If he can finish a few more chances from mid-range. We know that Yamamoto works hard. We know he tries to get to the net and to those so-called dirty areas of the ice. And, you know, oftentimes he does so pretty effectively for a smaller player. The fact is he is going to be that size. and, And there will be some nights where he probably gets boxed out a little bit. So he's going to have to finish some of those other shots he gets around the hash marks between the hash marks and the top of the circle and he's going to be on a line at least to start with two players who can get him the puck in that area so some little there there's a little detail to keep in mind for Kyler Yamamoto Ryan McLeod today was with Tyler Benson and Cooper Marodi Ryan McLeod 
projected to be on the team, not to go back to the American Hockey League. Those three players would have been the so-called fifth line today for the Oilers. So just out of the top 12, just out of those spots that you would expect to see in the, in the game once the regular season starts. I, I think McLeod, clearly because he played last year, the best chance to be on the Oilers once the season gets going. Uh, but Tip had commented on keeping those guys together today. They were an excellent line together in the AHL, and I want to give them the best chance to be successful here. So we'll play them together a little bit. They'll play a part a little bit. Like there's that line's not set in stone, but coming into camp, I wanted to make sure all three of them felt comfortable and can play play at a level that get in and not sure who they're playing with. They give them a chance to be successful. That's what I'm trying to do. You know, and well, Marody is a guy I want to see a little. He'll be a little bit on the wing and a little bit at center, but. You know, Benson's guy, he's, he's pushing to make our team. We have to see what he can do. So you should give him, give him the best chance to do that. And that's what I'm trying to do. It's interesting. Uh, you know, wanted to take more of a look at Marodi. Th- those are the three guys to watch. You know, Rob Brown and I talked about the team pretty much being picked. I, I do think that's the case. You don't know exactly where guys are going to land, how they'll be slotted to start the year. But if anybody is going to push, it'll be one of those three guys. You know, look, on defense, Philip Broberg's a top, pro- top prospect. There, there are enough guys ahead of him, though, even if there are a couple of injuries, that Broberg very likely to start the season in the minors. McLeod, they have high hopes for. Benson, trying to get there. Marodi, a little bit older than the other two. Um, you know, we got to see how he moves his feet around the ice. But... I, I've been asked that over the last week or two by some people. Well, who's 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 going to make the team that wasn't on it last year? Be, besides the new guys they brought in, obviously. And and I and I would say, given how we saw it aligned today and what Tippett just said, those would be the three names to keep an eye on: McLeod, Benson, Marody. It's seven nineteen. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Just keeping an eye on the game here between Carolina and Houston in the NFL. And uh, Christian McCaffrey, the star running back for the Panthers, looks like he's been ruled out of this game. So we could, well, we will uh, very likely be seeing more of Stuart Park's Chuba Hubbard out of the Carolina backfield. So far tonight, and Carolina leads 7-0 with about three and a half minutes left in the second quarter. McCaffrey with uh, seven carries for 31 yards. Chuba has uh, got a couple of touches, two carries for three yards, and he has uh, been targeted twice as a receiver, has one catch for seven yards, but uh, looks like McCaffrey's been ruled out of the game. So uh, this is kind of the dream, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we've, uh, we had Chuba Hubbard on this show back when he was in high school and a few times when he was playing for Oklahoma State. And the Stewart Park kid now uh, has an NFL career. And look, obviously, we hope McCaffrey is going to be okay. But nonetheless, pretty exciting that uh, Chuba is likely going to get a few more opportunities in this game tonight. And uh, Houston about to punt with two and a half minutes left in the first half. So we'll see uh, if Hubbard's on the field and how he gets used here as Carolina is going to try to score before the end of the half. All right. So Zach Hyman. With Connor McDavid and Yessi Pugliarvi today at practice, Hyman brought in. I mean, we've been looking for that winger to play with McDavid, and uh, Hyman 
hopefully going to be the answer. Here's what McDavid had to say about playing with Hyman today. I've got the chance to skate with Himes for, for a while now. Uh, you know, worked out with him back in Toronto and um, you know, got to know him as a guy. First and foremost, just a great guy. You know, brings lots of, uh, lots of personality, lots of, lots of positivity um, to our room and, and brings a little energy. And obviously on the ice, his, uh, his work ethic is, is what stands out amongst, uh, amongst other things. So you know, I think for him, just, uh, just, just, you know, I'm just excited to, 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 to start on a line with him and, and see what we can do. Well, and the other guy on that line, pretty promising year for him last year. That's Jesse Pugliarvi. A bit of a maybe shaky start to the season. Got more and more comfortable as uh, the year went on. Became a pretty important contributor. And, uh, you know, I feel pretty confident with him now playing in the top six. And McDavid had this to say about Jesse. You know, it was exciting, obviously, last year to, to get Jess back into the fold. And just to see what he was able to, to, to do last year and, uh, you know, grow his game and become that that kind of more complete player that, uh, that, you know, we were looking for when he first came here. And um, he's such a big man. He skates so well and, and shoots the puck well. And you know, now he wins battles and, and four checks. You know, it's kind of rounded out his game. And, you know, it's cool to see a young guy like that uh, kind of figure the game out. All right. Look, we all know lines change throughout the course of the season, but I, I think that's how the Oilers want to line up. The, the Hyman was... You know, Hyman's a pretty well-rounded player, should help anybody. But that's been a, a, a lot of the commentary. Who plays with McDavid? Who who can really help him in terms of puck retrieval, getting him the puck, finishing the chances that McDavid will set up for others? Well, Hyman's been able to do that in Toronto. And Hyman's been versatile in Toronto. He referenced that yesterday. He said, yes, I've played with Tavares and Matthews and Marner but I wasn't just with those guys. I moved around in the lineup and played on other lines too. So Hyman, a unique player, the potential to be um, a very interesting addition for the Oilers. A lot of skills that they've been lacking over recent years and occupying a place in the lineup where, you know, one they've been searching to fill through a lot of different players in recent seasons too. Okay, we got to go to the break here. Two-minute warning. Carolina up 7-0 on uh, Houston. I mentioned Chuba Hubbard from Sherwood Park uh, now taking over at running back for the Panthers with Christian McCaffrey out for the game. We'll see what's going on with the Alberta Junior Hockey League. They had to uh, make some adjustments with the uh, changes the provincial government made last week and the passport exemption program. So we'll see what they're doing. And we'll get you ready for the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. Richard Zokel, former PGA player, is going to be on the show. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, updating that Blue Jays game, 2-2 Blue Jays and Twins. That is in the top of the fifth. Jays just out of a playoff spot right now, half a game behind the New York Yan Yankees. Exciting chase for the wild card spot for them. Yeah, a lot going on. We're getting you ready for the NHL season. A lot of Oilers talk this evening. Always get more on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com or globalnews.ca. We will have an Oilers game on these airwaves on Sunday, baby. 5.30 for the face-off show, and the game will start at 7. Oilers at Flames. Now, on Tuesday, that's the 28th, we have the Oilers playing, and we have the Elks playing. 
The Oilers game will be on Ched. The Elks game will be on Kiss and Country 103.9. So that is how that is going to work. So we uh, will be bringing you both games. A league that I used to cover and still follow and still have a lot of respect for is the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And they are going again after obviously enduring uh, the last difficult season. The commissioner of the AHL is Ryan Bartoshik. Ryan, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, sir? Hey, good, Reed. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks for putting up with all my uh, questions about things over the last couple of weeks, because I know uh, you guys have had to do a bit of a balancing act uh, with all the things going on. Can you tell us the status of the AJHL and its teams when it comes to fans attending games, Ryan? Yeah, so so right now, um, you know, given last Wednesday's announcements and, and those implications for not only our teams, but our facilities. Um, as a league, we've chosen to operate under the restrictions exemption program. And, and ultimately, that's the only way we could move forward operating. And as we have throughout the last 18 months, we've worked closely with our communities and, and our facilities. And the majority of our facilities have chosen to implement that program as well. So what that means is ultimately there are no capacity restrictions, um, still indoor masking, but um, again, uh, no, no capacity restrictions for the majority of our facilities. Okay. And so does each individual team have to apply or does the league apply for all its member clubs? As a, as a league, um, ultimately we had to implement that program to, to play for physical activity. Uh, so we really had to break it down into two separate areas. One was activity for us to move forward as a league. And then again, we had to work with our communities to understand uh, the direction they were going in. So I believe we probably only have one or two facilities uh, that have to operate under one third capacity with masking and social distancing when the rest of those facilities and those communities have moved forward with the other program. All right. And I mean, I'm th- I mean, this was not, well, I mean, there's never been good timing, I think for anything throughout the pandemic, I suppose, but uh, I mean, what the regular season started <laughs> the couple days after uh, the, the province made this announcement. Yeah. We, we opened our season on uh, Friday the 17th. So we had to adjust and, and adapt as we have throughout this process. And for us, we needed to understand how to operate for those first two nights of our opening season and then how things changed on Monday. So, um, we had eight games Friday, eight games Saturday. All of our teams were playing, uh, a lot of excitement. Um, and then we had to adapt again on Monday. Uh, and we had some games already these past couple of days. And then again, moving into this weekend. So for us, it's just to be clear and transparent and, as, uh, and move forward. And uh, really, again, try to navigate the best we can throughout, uh, throughout the existing situation and, and uh, play hockey. Okay. There's a new team, Black Falls. Is it the Bulldogs? Black yes, Falls it is. Bulldogs? Yep, Black Falls Bulldogs, yep. Now, I- I'm going to give a score here, and I, I, I don't want to freak people out, so wait till I give the whole context. The Black Falls Bulldogs lost their opening game 17 nothing to Brooks, um, but I don't want people thinking, oh, my God, what a horrible expansion team, because they won their next game. Uh, and Brooks has been a powerhouse, so I guess maybe some opening night jitters. Tell us about putting that franchise in Blackfalds and, and why it's going to work there. Yeah, well, I think it comes down to the people involved in the organization. Um, very knowledgeable group and, and passionate group 
uh, and excited to bring junior A hockey to that community and, and to that region. So, um, yeah, very, very excited for the group. They put a lot of work in over the last year and a half and, um, you know, looking forward to getting into that new building, having people in that new building, and um, they're going to do things the right way uh, and really assist and, and grow this league. All right, and the showcase weekend I know is always a big one, and that's been going on for a long time. Back when even when I was working in Lloyd, they had it. Uh, I think it's not this weekend, but next. Give us some of the details there. Yeah, next Thursday we kick off in Brooks. Uh, so very excited to be in Brooks for that event, and and for us that's you know that's the highlight of the year as far as any form of an event and, and bringing all of our teams into one location uh we have four days this year games aren't happening happening at the same time um and they're really just going to build on what we've done with this event so uh, we're looking forward to welcoming this the scouting community uh we've had great feedback already and registration from um scouts across north america so we're excited to bring those guys in and and really you know ultimately showcase our league and and the athletes to that group over four days okay well ryan look i appreciate you coming on and and giving an update you've always been great with us to to deal with and, and get the message out about the ajhl i will say this the more games that are played the less likely, though, I'm going to want the commissioner on the show. But don't take that personally. I take <laughs> no. that as a good side. <laughs> hey, I, I, uh, I would uh, rather have you know our players or coaches on and then speaking to their accomplishments and um, and moving forward in that direction. But I appreciate the time. Um, we're looking forward to our season here. Obviously, recognize the responsibility we have as a league uh, and the safety of our communities too. So excited to move forward. Well said. Talk to you soon, Ryan. Okay. Take care. Thanks, Reed. That is Ryan Bartoshek, the commissioner of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. So, as he said, for all of their ranks except a couple, uh, they're, they're, they got their, they're part of the exemption program, so uh, no limit on capacity. There, there are a couple of venues that are going to have to operate at one-third capacity. Richard Zoko, the former PGA player, the Canadian guy, he's out of Predator Ridge in BC. He's coming up next. Ryder Cup tees off tomorrow, runs through Sunday to dive into that former PGA player, great Canadian. He's at Predator Ridge in BC. Richard Zokel checking in. Richard, how are you doing? I'm good, Reed. Thank you for the invitation. Always good to talk Ryder Cup golf when when it comes around. Uh, it hasn't been but three years since the last time the Ryder Cup was played, but uh, glad to uh, chat to you about it. Yeah, it's always one of my favorite events to watch. I, I may just catch uh, bits and pieces over the weekend because, of course, the Oilers are off and running here. I was at training camp the bulk of the day. Before we dive into the Ryder Cup and golf stories, uh, does golf have the equivalent of training camp? Like w- when you played, did you have a thing where it's like, okay, off season's over, now I'm getting back into it, or were you always kind of ready to go? Well, I think kind of uh, golf, uh, when I played and years ago kind of used to be like hockey used to be where the players would come to camp and they would play their way into shape. I don't think you can do that in any sport. Now you've got to show up to whether it's camp or whether it's a tournament or, you know, the PJ tour goes year round. So you've got to, you can't play your way into shape. You've got to be proactive. You've got to be not only getting your body in shape, you've got to get your mind in shape and you've got to be ready to go when the first gun starts. 
Yeah. All right. Well, the, the Ryder Cup, as you mentioned, is at Whistling Straits. Of course, we've seen other big events at and PGA championships and some exciting finishes, um, some odd finishes. I think that was the Dustin yep. Johnson weird bunker situation 10 or 11 years ago. When you see it on TV, it is it is a dramatic looking course. Like to me, anyway, it looks yes. like, wow, like where, where do they, how do they even know where they're hitting half the time? Yeah, and it starts with these 1,200 bunkers that they have at Whistling Straits, and, and, and which causes confusion because um, back in when, when and you had mentioned that Dustin Johnson, when he lost that event by grounding his club in the, in the bunker, in one of the bunkers, and, and, and he got a two-stroke penalty, lost the PGA Championship, they have to determine you know, what these, whether all of them are going to be bunkers or all of them are going to be waste areas, which means you can ground the club. And, and at the time, they determined when Dustin made that mistake, they determined that all 1,200 bunkers were sand traps, hazards, and, you're, and, and therefore not allowed to ground the club, even though a good few hundred of these bunkers were in spectator area and people were standing in them and they're going to footprint. So it was, it's, it was, it's very confusing and I'm not sure what they're doing this year for them, whether they're playing. Um, I haven't heard anyone talk about there's too many hot button issues on this Ryder cup to determine what these bunkers are, if they're bunkers or waste waste areas. So it'll be interesting to find that out when the tournament starts. So a course like that or, or the link style courses. And, and we see those almost every year at, at the British open. How much does it rely on wind as as a defense? Is it is, is it solely rely on that, or what's your take? Well, not not whistling straight. So, firstly, they, it, it's very easy. They're trying to make whistling straights uh, uh, play or be a links. It is not a links golf course. Uh, uh, Jordan Spieth talked about it being an American links golf course, but please understand that in links golf, true links golf. Uh, wind is is the um, is the determining factor of its of its strategy and its difficulty. But one thing links true links golf courses do is they give the player the option to run the ball up, uh, and and whistling straights doesn't do that. It it only give, it forces you to play it in the air, which is a very typical uh, uh, PGA Tour or North American type golf course. But uh, links. Pure links, it is not. It's kind of like a faux. It's a linksy looking golf course, but it's certainly not a linksy playing golf course. I like how you explain that uh, the the faux links. That's that's a good way to describe it because yeah, I've I, I've I've always kind of assumed well right. it must be of that style, but but right. uh, but clearly some differences for sure. Richard Zokel joining us tonight on Inside Sports as we uh, set up the Ryder Cup and talk a little golf. So the the Ryder Cup is. The, the reason I've liked it, and the first one I can really remember watching was was 91. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was clear, at least I thought, watching as a 18 or 17-year-old, however old I was, like, well, there's like some clear animosity in this event. Right. <laughs> you don't, do you expect <laughs> that between the Europeans and the Americans this year? Well, I think they, they're hoping to perhaps tone it down. I think that's because it has gotten in. And actually, that 91, the war on the shore, at, uh, uh, was a little too militant. It was, uh, you know, the Americans were wearing camo. And, and it was, and it was 
because of 87, when the Europeans won the year before, then they came over to foreign soil, which was at Nearfield Village. Jack Nicholas was captaining, and they won again. It just put the Americans into shock. And like, how could this be? They lost. And, and, uh, and, and, and then it started the war. So Dave Stockton uh, got his team out there at... Um, Kiowa Island and it came down to the Langer putt. He missed it and there was great celebration. And, and then it was game on thereafter. It was literally war. And um, and some of the things that are going on are the antics is it's just crazy. So it's it's built itself into something that's quite remarkable. It's equivalent to one of the top four majors and the people get outrageous on the golf course and uh, but I guess there's not going to be a lot of people flying in from the from Europe due to COVID. So um, and I think what we saw yesterday with the European team coming out wearing cheese head hats and, and Green Bay, uh, um, you know, colors, I think they're, they're trying to win the, 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 the Wisconsin people uh, a little bit so, so they can have as little disruption from the fans' perspective as possible. I think it was a very smart ploy. Golf is a great individual sport. The interesting thing about Ryder Cup is that there is team play. You know, you have the alternate shot, and then you have the 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 better ball. You and I both play the hole, but the guy who right. plays it better gets the gets the team score. And I, I assume you've been in those situations. Like, is that is that hard mentally to to all of a sudden play with a partner when the other fifty one weeks of the year it's all about well, your score? Yeah, it, it's a shock. I remember the first time that I played for Canada. You know, I played in six Dunhill Cups at the old course at St Andrews, and the very first time. I mean, it's one thing when you're in college, you're playing with the team and, and, and you're kind of have that youthful naivety. But when you start playing professional golf and you're, you know, obviously very independent, it's a, Reed, it's okay to let yourself down. We do that in life and we do that in golf, but it's not cool to let your teammates down. It's not cool to let your country down. And it, it, it takes a lot to getting used to. It was very unnerving the very first time I represented Canada. I just felt... Um, an uneasiness and be, uh, uh, and and hesitation, and it takes it takes a lot of experience to get over it, and it's very difficult. So when you put it into a Ryder Cup, I think it's you know it's like a U.S. Open or a Masters on steroids. It's a um, it's it, it's 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 difficult. It's very difficult. And then when you play, you know, when you play best ball, that's easy. Uh, because you have two shots at it and you can take your best ball. But when you're playing foursomes where, or another that we typically call it alternate shot, now it, it doubles up the pressure and it's the hardest uh, format to play. And, and you, usually in the history of these Ryder Cups, the team that performs best in foursomes or, or alternate shot is the ones that, um, that 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 win the Ryder Cup, and you know, and because the Americans are so strong from an individual base, their performance as individuals they dominate that. So uh, it's a, it's interesting to watch how each of these formats work out for both sides. I mean, look, not, not only are these a couple dozen of the best golfers in the world, that also means they're a couple dozen of the most mentally tough athletes and golfers out there. When you get into these match play formats, do the little mind games work with like, oh, I'm not going to concede that two footer that I conceded on the first 14? Like, you know I mean? <laughs> well, not really. Uh, you know, you 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 you've already prepared, yeah, yeah, for the worst. Uh, and you know, these guys they don't make the mistakes. You know, like a couple of years back in the Solheim Cup, one of the gals picked up the ball from six inches away, assuming it was it was uh, conceded. 
and it wasn't conceded. The guys don't do that. They just, they just, unless they hear it, they tap it in and they don't even give it any second thought. So um, there used to be gamesmanships. There was, you know, back in, and when Sevy was playing, there was uh, Paul Azinger and Sevy. I don't know if you remember it. Some of your listeners may remember it, but they got into it. And there was accusations of, of not only gamesmanship, uh, you know, Sevy was always kind of, jingling his change and standing in the wrong places and and that's what it was it was fred couples and, and ray floyd and and it was fred couples very first Ryder cup and 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 he sensed that Sevy was doing some th- gamesmanship on the first tee and ray floyd says to fred walking down the first race says i'm going to take care of this so he goes over to to, to Sevy. he gets in his face and there's no media around or anyone could see this and he gives it to him he says look i can do this all day long and i'm a lot better at this gamesmanship than you if you want to play this Let's do it, but you determine whether we're going to do this or not. So there's some great stories <laughs> that go back, but I think I don't think there's much gamesmanship nowadays. I think it's just mano a mano, and let's get after it. And uh, I'm going to give you my best, and if you could beat me, then good on you. Okay, so let's let's talk about though with uh, maybe some internal conflict, if you want to call it that, do, like Deschambeau and Kepka. Yep. Brooksy, uh, look yep. at my six-pack, four trophies, but, you know, like I'm too short of all that. Like, and then there's the video of a couple days ago, well, they talked on the practice range. Mm-hmm. Is this just media-fueled, let's make a soap opera out of it, or is there something going on that oh, you I, think is significant? Oh, no, I think it's uh, it's uh, elementary schoolyard, uh, you know, <laughs> kids being childish. Um, I think it started out that way. I think that... Uh, 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 you know, uh, Kepka started it, and then DeChambeau couldn't help but make those comments. He says, I, "I'm glad I live rent free in your head." <laughs> and these guys, and they go at it. These guys are, you know, they're alpha dominant males, and and they've got big fat egos. And if you, they're sensitive, and and Brooks can say he doesn't care all he wants, but obviously it does care. It does get under his skin. I think these guys got to grow a little thicker skin and they're going to have to kiss and make up. And I think they already have, but, um, you know, give a little bit, the media is going to make a big deal out of it. Now that the, the PGA tour has this player incentive program, where they're giving $40 million to drive a lot of, um, you know, social media that, that that's fueling the fire. And, and, but I think the childishness shouldn't be that way, but it is. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of athletes, young athletes, and particularly when they're good, they, um, they're a little childish at times. All right. Uh, Richard, it's always great talking to you before I let you go. How, how are things going uh, at Predator Ridge? Of course you continue to run the show out there. Yeah, everything is great. Uh, you know, we've run out of inventory with this. Uh, you know, when we came out of COVID last year, uh, the the real estate all over the globe and in, in Canada went nuts. And we ran out of inventory. Then we launched uh, 28 units, and that sold out in three days. That happened in July. So we're moving on our next subdivision. But everything is going great at Predator Ridge. We're a we're a very safe community. We we love our community, and we're we're growing rapidly. So it uh, it continually it can it continues to succeed. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.